Uh, do please turn your Bibles again to chapter Genesis chapter 26 as we continue in our series called The Struggle, uh, where we'll see God being ever faithful and ever present, uh, and his people often struggling, and God prevailing, and then graciously giving that victory to his people. As you're finding your place there in Genesis 26, let me ask you just a couple questions. When do you think we often have the hardest time doing what is right? When do we often have the hardest time doing what is right? Or uh, when do you think we often have the hardest time? Oh, that's the same question. Or when does it seem like the hardest thing to do is to do the right thing? If we think about that a bit, some of us might answer uh, in, in some different ways. It can be it can be the hardest uh, to do the right thing or to abstain from doing the wrong thing when we're alone. You might say when we're alone or when we are outnumbered, when the odds look stacked against us, when it looks like our efforts may not work out the way we would hope to see, even when it's, if just with one other person. If we don't think the results look like they're going to be what we'd hoped for, we might struggle. Uh, when we're alone, there's, there's really no one else there to spur you on. Uh, no one to keep you going, there's not much accountability, or, or perhaps even the notion that if we were to do wrong, there'd be no one there to find out. If we're with a group of people uh, that we think would be opposed to what is right, we, we might read the room and, and realize that we're the odd man out. Things get tough. Uh, when we were teenagers, we were told that uh, young kids struggle with something called peer pressure. Aren't you glad that goes away when you get older? It, it never does, does it? But there is something that does, or something else that doesn't go away, and someone who never does go away. uh, We know that God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present all the time. In Genesis 23, verse 24, God says of himself, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? And declares the Lord, Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I read this week of the idea of of God filling uh, the earth, the heavens, thinking of it like the ocean, filling a bucket when the bucket is sinking down into the depths of the ocean. He said, yeah, that bucket is filled, but filled in what way? Totally enveloped, being uh, drugged down by the power of all of the water, swallowed by the water of the ocean. Psalm 139, we see these these precious truths concerning God's presence. As, as David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. These final two statements are especially comforting. Comforting. We're not trying to just think of God being everywhere present all the time in a, oh no, he might catch me kind of a way. Uh, That is not for the child of God who desires to follow him uh, with sincerity in our hearts. Uh, It is a comforting thing that we could know that God is not just present everywhere, but that he's specially present for our good. He is present with us for our good and for the care of his people. God isn't just everywhere all the time. God is everywhere you are, Christian, 
for you, for your good. Knowing these truths changes the ballgame. When are we alone? When are we outnumbered? Or maybe better put, when are we outpowered by those who we'd come into contact with? If God truly is for us, who can be against us? Isaac needed to learn these truths. And may God graciously implant them into our hearts as we look into his word this morning. So Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. This first verse might remind us of two prior episodes in the life of Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, after the call of Abraham is given, uh, in the first several verses, we learn of a famine in the land, which Abraham responds to by going down to Egypt. While in Egypt, Abraham did that whole, Sarah is my sister thing. You remember that? Sarah is my sister to save his own skin. And then in Genesis 20, Abraham goes to Gerar and meets Abimelech. And that name Abimelech, it means my father is king. And so it's, it's quite probable that that name was being used as a title. And so the Abimelech that Isaac meets this week may not be the same Abimelech that Abraham met back in chapter 20. Just like you'd have like this Caesar, that Caesar, that Caesar. That wasn't actually their name, but their title. So we have Genesis 12 going to Egypt in the famine. We have Genesis 20, Abraham going to Gerar, meeting a, a king named Abimelech. But if you remember, when Abraham went to Abimelech in Genesis 20, uh, he was worried again what would be done to him. And so he said again, Sarah is my sister. So given the fact that uh, those elements both exist in both previous accounts that are mentioned here, what might we expect Isaac to do today? A little bit of a spoiler, though, but we're going to have to wait a few verses to find out what Isaac's going to do. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. So we're not going to see him do that part. God said, Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn. And this word sojourn is meant to be temporary. Isaac is not being given a permanent place to dwell. God's commanding him to stay or to sojourn in this land. God says, stay in this land, and I will be with you. I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring, I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. All these lands, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then this, verse 5, he says, because. Uh, Verse 4 was all this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, this is happening. And then verse 5, because. And then he says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Uh, So first, God has just committed himself. He has committed himself. He has promised. He's carrying the Abrahamic covenant, this blessing, down to and through Isaac. God speaks this, grants this directly to Isaac. So we know this, again, for sure. Ishmael was not 
the son that God promised. This was Isaac. A second, what do we do with verse 5? Do we look at Abraham's life as we read through the book of Genesis and say, well, Abraham perfectly obeyed God, didn't he? Well, no, that would be a wrong statement. Abraham didn't perfectly obey God. Did Abraham believe God? And God counted it to him as righteousness? Did Abraham receive a righteous record by grace through faith? Say ding, ding, ding. There it is. Yes. Yes. Abraham nor Isaac were more benefited in their salvation by struggling with God, really against God, to do things their own way. When Abraham and Isaac struggled in the midst of God's promises, that wasn't helping them along get closer to salvation so God didn't have to do as much, right? It wasn't resolving their problem. They could not resolve their problem their way. Just like Abraham, all who are saved are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, and to the glory of God alone. And then just like all of God's children who are saved by grace through faith, what then did Abraham start to grow in? How about obeying God's voice, his word? Keeping his charge, his commandments, his statutes, his laws. Abraham grew in his love and reverence for God, and therefore in his obedience. In his obedience to God. It's, it's also worth pointing out, we see in verse 5 a repetition, don't we? Five times God says, my. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Abraham grew in learning to obey God's word, God's charge, God's commandments, God's statutes, God's laws. Where just like the rest of us, Abraham had to grow away from following his own feelings. Where his own heart led him down wrong paths. Paths like, Sarah's my sister. He did that because he wanted to. It felt all kinds of right to say that in that moment. And it wasn't. We can feel things. We can think we are things. But what did God say? My, my, my. Who is in authority there? As we grow in humility, we understand that there is a lack, if there's a lack of agreement between what I want or how I feel about something and what God's word says, if there's a lack of agreement between the two, God is the one who is faithful, true, righteous, and the authority. God's word wins, and it's right. It doesn't just win because God can strong-arm us into it. It's, it wins because also it's right, and it's good, and it's true, and it's better than what I might feel that contrast that disagrees with what God says. It's better. So, uh, remember, uh, in this context here, we're bracing ourselves, we're waiting for this what, my wife is my sister stuff to come, and it's coming. But we also see in this our faithful, ever-present God committing to Isaac, I will be 
with you. So stay here and follow my commands. Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar. Good job, Isaac. Wise choice. But, verse 7, when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared. She's my sister, he says, because he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And the way the Hebrew is written here, we're being invited to look out the window with Abimelech. Abimelech looked out the window, we look out the window with him, and behold, Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Uh, another interesting thing to note, you might remember that when God told Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a son, and Sarah knew how old they were, they, she knew how old she was, how preposterous that sounded. What did Sarah do? She laughed. Isaac's name means laughter. And what did Abimelech see Isaac doing with Rebekah? It's translated here as laughing. There's a play on words here. Uh, but this word, actually, in the, in the Hebrew... It can be translated as laughter, but we need to see this uh, as with the wordplay in this context. We need to think of it more as a laughter of a man and his bride who are showing a little PDA. A public display of affection is going on here, okay? And perhaps they're laughing as they enjoyed one another's company, but the word means more than laughter. Uh, something that might cause somebody to have said, if he'd if seen them, why don't you two get a room, Okay. This is what is happening between Isaac and Rebekah here. It would be kind of silly if you think about it for Abimelech just to see Isaac simply laughing. If Isaac and, and Rebekah were just hanging out and they were laughing together, why would Abimelech say, how dare you enjoy the company of your sister like that? You must always be stern and cold in her presence. Well, that's not right. This wasn't just laughter. Okay, Isaac and Rebekah are enjoying each other's company a little too much for that. Okay, so verse 9. Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, (laughs) she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Gentlemen, just to confirm now for the third time, after having studied Genesis 12 and 20 previously, make sure we're all on the same page here. Allowing other men the opportunity to take your precious bride so that you can escape and preserve your own safety? Not a good plan. Not a good plan. Let's not be doing that. That's not great husbanding right there. Uh, It's safe to say that that is not loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Think about what, what, what did Isaac say? Lest I die because of her. What did Christ do? That's how we love our wives. And then, let me say this as well. One other important truth we learned from this episode. If Isaac thought that the path to God's blessing was through parting ways with Rebecca, thinking that he had to maintain his own safety to keep this blessing, well, he'd be sorely mistaken. 
sorely mistaken. The path to God's blessing, the the path to following Christ, the path to following God's plan for your life is never through the door of abandoning your spouse. Please do not ever misuse Jeremiah 29.11 to leave your spouse. You might say, man, that, that, that sounds wild. It happens. It happens. Abandoning your spouse is not the narrow gate to the narrow path of following Christ. Uh, we know there are times when a spouse is unfaithful or when a wife perhaps uh, has to fear for her safety because of the sins of her husband. And please understand I'm not talking about these terrible kinds of situations. Uh, what I'm talking about is the man or the woman who has a dream. A vision of all they think God has for them out there in the world. And they don't think that they could realize their dream with their spouse holding them back. And so, because God wants me to be happy, right? And don't you want what's best for me? They convince themselves at the expense of those they're supposed to love the most that they are in the right and in the center of God's will as they leave their spouse, as they sin. And sometimes they also leave their children behind. But listen, God's will, God's will, will never contradict God's will. God's will will never contradict what he says is his revealed will. God is not going to give you a dream. God is not going to give you a calling. He's not going to give you a covenant, a blessing, a desire that requires you to break God's word, God's charge, God's commandments, God's statutes, or God's law. If you think that God wants you to be happy by doing something that his word says is not right to do, God did not tell you that. It's just wrong. And that's love. Right? That's love. God gave us these things for us and for our good. Isaac was wrong to be willing to lose Rebecca, to abandon her, to protect himself, and or to try to make sure he kept his blessing. And Isaac hadn't even really earned it in the first place. God's contingency, they said, for having the blessing was obeying his commands. Hold fast to your wife. Hold fast to your husband. And we know this too. Isaac didn't have to fret in the first place. Isaac didn't have to be worried in the first place. What had our God promised him? God said, I will be with you. I will bless you. No one was going to be killing Isaac over there in Gerar. They would have had to have gotten through God first in order to do that. And that wasn't happening. Our God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46. So now back to the text. Isaac has just given his reasoning for lying to Abimelech. He, he, said, to, he said Rebekah was a sister because he thought he'd be killed so that the Philistines could take her for themselves. And then back into verse 10. Abimelech says, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife. We say, yikes, to that, right? But then he continues, and you would have brought guilt on us. Even though the Philistines' concept of right and wrong was skewed, they are now rebuking Isaac, the follower of God, 
for setting them up to sin in a way they wouldn't dare to take another man's wife. Isaac, the recipient of God's blessing, is being rebuked by the pagans. And think, in his desire to protect himself, Isaac hasn't just sinned against Rebekah, but he has also failed to love his neighbor, his fellow man, by setting them up to potentially commit adultery. He was hating them too. He had sinned against them as well. So verse 11, Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches, and this word for touches carries the idea of aggression. This isn't just like shaking hands or or bopping elbows to say, hey, not that kind of a thing, but the idea there is a touching to take or to, to harm, to do harm. So whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. God gave Isaac to Rebekah, as her husband, to protect her. And in this moment, God's sovereign providence is on display as he uses the pagan king Abimelech to protect her instead. God was with her. God had promised Isaac, I will be with you. And it appears now Isaac sees it. And God told Isaac to stay in this area of the land And God promised Isaac that he would bless him there. And so let's see what God's going to do. Verse 12. Isaac sowed in in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now remember, was Isaac just like knocking it out of the park, being awesome, spiritual? No. But what had God said? And here it is. He sowed in that land. He reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That good of a harvest? that good of a harvest during a famine? How? It says the Lord blessed him. That's what he said he was going to do. And this was his promise to Isaac, remember. It's not to everybody, okay? We're not all going to have a hundredfold harvest, okay, this year because God said that to Isaac, but he did say it to Isaac, and so Isaac got it. Verse 13 says, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. What happens during a famine when you have a hundredfold of harvest? You make a lot of money, and maybe some enemies along the way too. And he does. Verse 14 says, He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, and so that the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. The idea here being, because the Philistines envied Isaac's success, they filled in all those wells so that he wouldn't be able to get any water out of them anymore to make them so they won't function, okay? They're trying to take his access to water away to shut him down. And Abimelech, verse 16, said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now he is fearing Isaac because of God's blessing. God had blessed Isaac just like he said he would. We see here God is faithful And now Isaac's going to have another opportunity to struggle or to trust and obey. And God will remain faithful. Right? We see through all these, man's doing all this stuff, right? Man's going like this, and God, faithful, faithful, faithful. Verse 17, so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But 
When Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, meaning the water is just constantly flowing all the time, that was too good to be true. So the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water's ours! So we call the name of that well Essek, meaning contention or argument. That's what that word means. Because it says they contended with him. And then they dug another well. They moved somewhere else and dug another well. And they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And that word Sitna means opposition or adversary. And he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. Okay, the quarreling's done. They did not quarrel over it. And so he called its name Rehoboth, meaning to make room. He was saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. God did it. He acknowledges this, okay? Everywhere Isaac goes, they're finding water. And everywhere Isaac finds water, the Philistines are coming. (laughs) You found water, we want it. You found water, we want it. And then finally, there's a place for him. God gives this to him, okay? God's being faithful and trustworthy, isn't he? God was with him. Verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Why did Isaac say she's my sister? Fear. God says, fear not. Why? For I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abram's sake. And so Isaac did what you do when you know God's with you. He worshipped. He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And guess what they're going to find? And this, this kind of sounds like the uh, end of a chapter, the end of a portion of the story. But, but remember, what about those Philistines? Weren't they envious of Isaac's blessing? Haven't they been tracking them each place they go to and trying to take back the, the water that they get? So we have some questions that need some answering here, and and this continues, the story continues, and we'll get our answers. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with, uh, these are the fun times to get to name all these people, Ohuzath, his advisor, and Fikol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, think about this now, we've seen two times God saying, I'm going to be with you. And now these Philistines say, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. These pagan Philistines can't help but acknowledge the blessing of Isaac's God, God's presence with Isaac. And they say, so we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and you have uh, and have done to you nothing but good since and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace okay i guess we'll pretend to uh, forget about the whole filling in the wells thing that ever happened but but then these leaders acknowledge this important truth they say you are now the blessed of the lord you are now the blessed of the lord Remember the previous Abimelech from Genesis 20? He had made peace with and seen God's blessing on Abraham. And now this next generation, knowing who this is, 
understands that supernatural blessing has been passed down from Abraham to Isaac. They're affirming it. And so he, Isaac, he made him a feast. They ate and drank. They had a little peace treaty party. And in the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. These people that Isaac feared are now leaving him in peace. God was with him. God was with him. And that same day, Isaac's servants came and told them about the well that they dug and said to him, surprise, surprise, we have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, well of an oath to this day. As we look at all of this, there's arguably two patterns that we can find in, in this passage, in this narrative. The first is this. We have God granting his covenant promise, his blessing to Isaac. That's first. After which Isaac struggles. Doing things his own way, fearing man, trying to figure stuff out himself. After which God reiterates his covenant promise and his blessing to Isaac. God's covenant promise, Isaac struggles. And we're not going to... He didn't do terrible the whole time, right? There were times when he was learning and growing and doing right, but Isaac is struggling in this. God's covenant promise, Isaac struggles. God's covenant promise, bearing fruit and being reiterated. Covenant, struggle, covenant. In all of this, we are again reminded, God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of Isaac's life. God was faithful to Abraham. Now he is faithful to to Isaac. Our God does not lie. He does not change. He keeps his promises. He is our rock and our fortress. Numbers 23:19 says God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. That's good news. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Our God is faithful and trustworthy. He is worthy of our praise, worthy of our obedience. And so I think it's right to emphasize, uh, to stress, the faithfulness of God from this narrative today. And then there's this second interesting uh, literary feature here, a, a different pattern. We had God's faithfulness and now God's presence. God's presence was mentioned three times in this chapter. In verse 3, God says to Isaac, I will be with you. In verse 24, God says, I am with you. And in verse 28, Abimelech says to Isaac, the Lord has been with you. I will be. I am. The Lord has been with you. Uh, We could say it this way in referring to God. His faithfulness has been shown. We've seen it manifested today in his faithfulness to be present as he has promised to do what he's promised. God is faithful. God is present. God is faithfully present for his people. 
And as far as Isaac is concerned, we could agree uh, with Kent Hughes when he writes, how Isaac related to and appropriated the reality of God's presence. The idea of appropriated means I'm, I'm gathering this, I'm understanding this, I'm internalizing this truth. So how Isaac related to and appropriated the reality of God's presence had everything to do with how he lived. Was there a time when God wasn't present with Isaac? No, but when Isaac realized it and believed it, appropriated it, that well, changed the game. It changed how he lived. And he says, so it is with us. Hughes goes on to write, when God's children truly believe that God is with them, a deepening of faith and obedience takes place. These things are tied together, aren't they? God redeems us. He transforms us. He is Lord of our life. We want to worship him. And that ties right into, if God's Lord, he's my master. These things all tie together. They don't live in separate boxes. So it says, when God's children truly believe that God is with them, a deepening of both faith and obedience takes place. Church, God is with you. He's with us as a church, and he's with you as his child. This message was given to Israel in Joshua 1, 8, and 9. Listen to this. God said to Israel, uh, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Think about the weight of that statement, that question, I should say. The weight of that, that question. Who were the commands coming from? That was the weight. The weight of the commands was the source of them. Have I not commanded you? And then he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus Christ gave us this same promise in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are very similar, aren't they? In 1 Corinthians 6, we're taught that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. God is always with us. So who has the Spirit? Every Christian, every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has the Spirit. In Romans 8, 9-13, Paul writes this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're a Christian you have him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and Christian, he does, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your, your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. At the end of Romans 8, with this knowledge that God dwells in us, 
that God is with us, that he is the giver of life, that whom God has predestined, he's also called, justified, glorified by his grace. We then see these promises, starting in verse 31. Now what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember what Isaac had when he was there with Abimelech and those men and his beautiful bride? Fear. Fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can, can tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Persecution? Other people coming after you because of your faith? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? Danger? Sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul writes, no, not no, those things aren't going to happen to you, but no, those things aren't going to separate you from the love of God. He says, no, in all these things, in them, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. But that, no, all creation. But what about all creation? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God is with you. He has promised you this. And he's faithful. He will fulfill this. And then we look forward. We look forward to the day promised in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, where it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isaac, Isaac, he believed. And, and he was growing, right? There's sin in his heart. He's growing, progressively being sanctified. And, and even though God's promises were true, and God was fulfilling them, in the heat of the moment, when it didn't seem right, things didn't feel right, there was, there was at least a visible reason to be fearful. Right? Today, we know Christ If you're here today, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you know, you know, you've trusted him with your soul, and there's still some sin in our heart, isn't there? And we're growing, and we're changing, and we're in this struggle. Imagine the day 
when there is no more sin in our hearts and we know God is with us. We are with him. Why would we ever think, you're never alone, God's with you? Oh, no. Why would we ever think, oh, no? Why would that ever be like an intimidation, don't ever do bad, kind of a, because of sin? But there will be a day when we know God is with me, and it's just pure, sheer joy, rejoicing. And even though we don't always feel that now, God is with you, Christian, and for your good, for you. Kiddos, is God with you when you go to school or to a friend's house? Maybe their family doesn't know Christ and your parents aren't there to back you up or maybe your brothers and sisters. Is God with you there? Yes. Yes. Adults, is God with you at the workplace? When your coworkers, maybe they desire to skew the numbers a bit. If your boss is even asking you to lie for the company. Or maybe when the question comes to you in the break room, what do you think about this? Is God with you there? Yes. Yes, he is. Will God be with you when you go get lunch today? Yep. Will God be with you if you get stuck in quarantine for the next two weeks? <sighs> yes. Yes. Will God be with you when your child or your spouse, your Christian friend, needs you to speak up for them on their behalf for their good? Maybe even in a way that you think they may not want to hear. Is God with you then? Yes. And he's there for you. And for them. Was God with our brothers and sisters who went before us? Or, or even today around the world, is, is God with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being imprisoned? Who can't get hired? Or maybe they keep getting fired? Is God with his children who've even been martyred for, for simply following Christ and being willing to obey his word when others would try to force them to do otherwise? Is God with them? Yes. God has been. God is. And God will be with his people. God is with you. Our holy, all-powerful, gracious, and loving God has promised you this. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, nothing can ever separate you from his love. God wins. And we are more than conquerors through him. When God's children truly believe that God is with them, a deepening, a deepening of both faith and obedience takes place. Do you believe this? You can trust him. God is with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these wonderful truths and these promises. God, we thank you because you are perfect. You're holy. You are righteous. You never change. You cannot lie. 
and you will be faithful to accomplish all that you have said. Lord, we thank you that you are faithfully present with us, even here and now. God, I pray that this truth uh, would uh, be understood by your people, that we would grasp this, that we would delight in your presence with us, that we would know we are never alone. We are never outnumbered. We are never overpowered because you are with us. That God, that would encourage us and strengthen us to persevere, that it would encourage and strengthen us to love our neighbor as ourself because we don't have to watch our own back. We don't have to save ourselves or preserve ourselves or keep ourselves from anything that could come our way. You are with us. God, may that free us from the fears that we may have in this world and spur us on to righteousness, to desire to follow hard after you and to love others. God, I do pray that if there would be one here today who's never put their faith and trust in you, may we see your faithfulness and your promise to Isaac and even his struggle to try to make things go right and fully understand that you alone are the Savior, that our works are as filthy rags, and that we would trust in you wholly and completely for our salvation. God, I pray that you would do that work in the heart of one or two or three or ten here today. And then, God, that you would use us for your honor, your glory, and your praise. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.